The passage this evening could be found on page 2 of your bulletin. Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again, excuse me, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and had vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. How y'all doing tonight? My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. Let's pray before we get into the word. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that we can't do anything without, without you. Lord, I come before you weak. I come before you in need. I come before you depending upon the power of your Holy Spirit to speak your word. Lord, speak to the hearts of your people. Help us to look once again at the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been going through the sermon series and the, the mission of the family of God. And so tonight, basically, here's the main thing, that the, a family that prays together stays together. Amen? Amen. So we're going to talk about prayer and we're going to talk about faith. But before we get into that, I wanted to share a, a, a personal story. Uh, before I met my wife, Stephanie Russell, um, I had my heart broken many times. Um, I had uh, been interested in, in, in certain women, and they, just, they gave me the let's just be friends speech. Anybody had that speech before? <laughs> Amen. I see, I see that hand. And so when I, when I met my wife, I, I was in New City Fellowship in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Randy Neighbors is preaching, and I saw this beautiful, godly woman, and I, and I, I was just like, who is she? So I went to one of my college friends, who was a girl, and I said, do you know Stephanie? Can you tell me, give me some intel? And she said, Andrew, she's too good for you. <laughs> but I had to try again, you know? I, I, I couldn't just let that stop me. And so I, I told myself, uh, even though I've been disappointed many times, even though I've had my heart broken, yet I will try again. I can't let this beautiful, godly woman just, just walk away. Yet, I will look again. So, for you single folks, this might be a message. This might be a word to you. Yet, I will look again. So, look at your neighbor and tell them, I will look again. Amen. So, that's... that's <laughs> but we don't stop. Amen. We, we, do it, we do it with love. We do it with respect. Amen. So some of you, you, um, you've had a close relationship with God. And for some reason, that, that relationship 
might have gone cold or, or gotten distant. Some of you, actually, you have a close relationship with God, but you might find it hard to pray. You might find it hard to, to trust and put your faith and trust in God. And, and some of you might have no relationship with God. And, and you find it hard to believe that does even God exist? And so my message to all of you, wherever you find yourself, is to look again. Uh, Jonah, he, he wanted to flee from the presence of the Lord. Jonah wanted uh, God, uh, this all-seeing God, to leave him alone. He wanted nothing to do with God. He didn't want to obey and, and tell the people of Nineveh to repent. So what would you do if you could run away from God? You might say, you know, I don't have to live by God's rules. You might even say that I don't, I don't have to feel guilty about sin or, or being called a sinner. In fact, you might reject the whole notion of sin and feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm not a perfect person, but I, I, I'm good enough. I, I at least try to be good. You might say that uh, if, if, if I could run away from God, I, I'll be free to uh, ask questions and doubt the supernatural and not be indoctrinated by religion. In a sense, you would be free. You would feel freedom from God, freedom and, uh, from his rules, and freedom from his presence. What if there was a God that said, you know what? You're free to make up your own rules. Would you obey that God? Would you worship that God? What, what if that God said that you're not a sinner and evil uh, is just the natural forces of nature? That you're just, you know, that you're just acting out of your nature? Would you bow down to that God? What if that God said that religion is a hoax and it's all made up, so you must figure out your own path? Would you serve that God? You know, um, every other Wednesday, um, I lead a skeptics group. And uh, last year, I, I, I might have told some of you this story, but I'll give you the brief version. Last year, we were talking about hell and uh, we, we had a Satanist that came up. He, he believes that uh, he is a theistic Satanist, which is different from the atheistic ones. He actually believes in a literal Satan, and he worships the devil. And so he told me that Satan only has one rule. And he, and he quoted it, and he said, Satan's rule is to do whatever thou wilt. That shall be the whole of the law. So he basically says that Satan gives him true freedom. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to be encumbered by this judgmental God with all of his rules. He said, Andrew, your God has 10 commandments. He has the Old Testament. He has all these rules. He's so restrictive. And Satan only has one rule, which is to do whatever you want. Which, and this is interesting. Even, even when we think that we're breaking the rules and doing whatever we want, there's a law for that. There's a law for breaking the rules and doing whatever you want. So why does Jonah want to run away from God? Can't he just live as though God doesn't exist? And Jonah knows deep down in the depths of his soul that he has seen God. Jonah knew that God had called him to be a prophet. And even if he tried to run away from that calling, God would pursue him. That's why he asked the sailors to throw him into the sea because he knew that God sent the storm. God had caught him. But the story didn't end there. God appointed a fish. Did you, did you catch that? I believe it's in verse 
uh, uh, it's actually in verse, the previous verse in chapter one, it says, then God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. And, and there in the belly of this fish, Jonah prayed and, and he knew that God hears prayer. Jonah prayed when no one else could hear him. He prayed in the depths of the sea. He prayed out of the belly of hell. Sheol is another word for hell. It's, Sheol is a place of the underground, the underworld, the place of the dead. And so in the belly of hell, Jonah prayed and, and he approached the gates of heaven. So my question to you is, what will it take for you to pray to God? Some of us don't believe in prayer. And in 2019, prayer seems meaningless like people's thoughts and prayers. Y'all remember the Parkland shooting? the mass shooting, and, and folks were saying thoughts and prayers. And I, and I remember on, on CNN, uh, they had this interview of the folks on Capitol Hill, and, and they were saying, I'm tired of people's thoughts and prayers. I want action and legislation. And so for a lot of people, prayer is, is synonymous with doing nothing. Prayer is meaningless. And, and people want action and legislation and, and, uh, because action and legislation, it's tangible. It's, it's within the realm of human power. We can do something about it. But what do you do when you're in the belly of hell, in the depths of the sea, facing certain death? Many of us would just accept it. Many of us would say, well, I, you know, I guess it's my turn to die. I've lived a good enough life. I've tried to be a good person. I have no regrets. Death is just, you know, it's natural. Everyone dies. However, for the follower of Jesus Christ, death, is unnatural. Death is an aberration. It's not the way things supposed to be. It is the very opposite of what, God, of what God stands for and what he does in the earth. And so if you find yourself in spiritual death, what prevents you from praying to a God who raises the dead? And sometimes I believe it, it takes realizing that you're living in hell before you can reach for heaven. Sometimes it takes realizing that you have no other option but to pray for you to trust in the power of prayer because prayer is action and prayer is divine legislation. Jonah prayed to Elohim. He's, you see it here. He says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. God in the Hebrew there is Elohim. And Elohim means that God is the God of creation and also nature. It expresses that God's transcendence over nature. God is sovereign. We sang the song, sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign in the storm with me in the, in the storm. God is sovereign over the storm. We see it in verse four. God is sovereign over the fish. We see it in verse 17 because God appointed the fish. God's sovereignty speaks about his power, his rule, his authority. And God is supreme over the heavens and the earth. God is sovereign but many people don't believe that God is sovereign. Many Christians, I put myself included in there, sometimes I don't live like God is sovereign. When we have a low view of God, then we have a high view of man. You know, we're in awe of scientists and we're in awe of engineers and inventors and philosophers and artists and, and anything that shows the beauty of human intelligence and ingenuity However, we, we are not as enamored with God or the, the beauty of God or the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God. But yet, even in our human understanding, we still find ourselves asking 
these two questions, uh, how do we exist and why is there something rather than nothing? So we know that there's some type of limitation even to our own intelligence. And so in, in for order for us to see the glory of God, we need to humble ourselves and consider the fact that it is impossible to probe the mind of an infinite God with no beginning and no end unless God reveals himself to us in a language that we can understand. And so for Jonah to understand the power of God, he had to pray. And he had to pray that only and believe that only God can save him. Prayer and faith. So prayer for many of us, it comes when we're in distress, when we feel lost, hopeless, confused, powerless. That's when we pray. And scripture says to pray without ceasing, not because God needs us to pray, but because we need God. And I have a quote there in your bulletin, uh, George by George Mueller, who was a 19th century English evangelist, and, and he was a great man of prayer. And he said this, and I'll just read the quote. I thought this was a powerful uh, uh, explanation of, of the preciousness of prayer. He says, prayer is not necessary for the sake of informing God but prayer is necessary simply because it is the appointment of God. He will, give, he will have us come to him for our own good and profit and blessing, asking him for the things we require because the blessing bestowed on us in the answer of prayer is so much the more precious than if the blessing were without prayer. Often and often, God allows us greatly to be tried in order that at last, when the blessing does come and prayer is answered, it may be all the more precious to us. Prayer is not necessary for the sake of informing God, George Mueller says, because God is sovereign. The, the scripture says he knows our need even before we ask, but he would have us to come to him by no other way and no other method. God has appointed prayer for our blessing, not out of some religious duty, because the blessing bestowed to us in answer to prayer is the more precious than if the blessing were without prayer. I mean, what if Jonah could have figured out to save himself? He would need how to pray, but Jonah was in a, a he was literally dying. If you, if you read the, the, the verses, it says here, he says, uh, uh, the flood surrounded me, your waves and billows passed over me, uh, the weeds were wrapped about my head. So Jonah was in a place of, of utter helplessness, and all he could do was to pray. And Jonah could barely pray. That's, that's why I believe Jonah prayed the Psalms. If, if you look at the verses here, it says, I call out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Actually, Jonah is quoting several Psalms in this passage. In Psalm 120, uh, verse 1, David says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, it says, The cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In Psalm 42, a psalm that he actually quoted verbatim, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. Psalm 86, 13, For great is your steadfast love toward me, you have delivered my soul from the depths 
of Sheol. So why am I quoting these Psalms? To show you that Jonah knew the word of God and he connected the word of God to his prayers. He inserted his name in the prayers of the psalmist because he knew, he knew that if God heard the cry of David, that God would also hear his cry. He knew that God would always be faithful to his word. That's why we need to connect our prayers to the word of God. So a lot of times we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. And so you can, you can just take the promises of scripture and you can connect them to your prayers. If you're in Christ, the Bible says all the promises uh, for those who are in Christ are yes and amen. So if you're in Christ, just put your name in it. The Bible says no weapon formed against uh, you shall prosper. And so your word says, Lord, your word says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Lord, I'm being beaten up, but you promise in your word that you will deliver me. Lord, deliver me according to your word. And so if you find it hard to pray, Connect God's word with your prayer and you will see the power of prayer like Jonah. And then he said these powerful words. I'll read it here. He says here in, in uh, let's see, where is in verse, verse four. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again toward your holy temple. Yet I will look again. That's the title of this sermon. And, that, and that, that phrase, yet I will look again, really hit me because it says something there. He displayed a level of faith that's rare to find. It's a faith that reaches in the dark. It's, it's a faith that just looks for a glimmer of hope, a, a brief moment of relief. It's, it's simple. It's reflexive. It's, it's like fighting to breathe and, and your arms are flailing while you're drowning. It's banging on the door of God's mercies when the door seems locked and you're trapped in the basement of doubt. It's not the realm of the, of the great feats of faith like, you know, David facing Goliath or uh, the, the paralyzed man coming to Jesus to be healed or the prophet Ezekiel prophesying to dead bones and them coming to life. You might look at the scriptures and you're like, I don't have that type of faith. I don't have the faith of the prophetess Anna who prayed for decades for the coming of Jesus. But if you do, if you have a little faith, if, if you have a small and sometimes awkward faith, if you have a, a weak faith, Charles Spurgeon, he, he, one of my favorite preachers, he responds to this, to this, to this uh, verse of yet I will look again. And he says, remember, the lowest form of faith will save. Even the smallest measure of faith is effectual for salvation. Look if you cannot go forth to fight by faith, stand still and look by faith. If you cannot declare the glory of the Lord, yet look. If you cannot tell what God has done for you, yet keep looking by faith to see what God will do for you, yet I will look again. A lot of times faith doesn't make sense, right? Uh, Hebrews 11 chapter 1, chapter, chapter 11 verse 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6 says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God, for without, uh, for whoever would draw near to God, check this out, must believe that he exists, and secondly, that he rewards those who seek him. Faith isn't something that is conjured up from within. 
You can't just believe something to be true without confronting uh, some type of evidence, some kind of, of rational ground. Uh, for you to put your faith and trust into. You can't just will something to be true just because you believe it. And a lot of times, uh, non-Christians and those who don't follow Jesus, when they look at Christians, they think, you know, y'all have this blind faith. You just will something to be true. But we base our faith on something rational. We, we base, our, uh, base our faith on hard evidence. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So what are the words of Christ? On, on what rational grounds or historical evidence can I base my faith in? And if you've been wondering, if you've been asking this question, what rational ground or historical evidence, I'm going to give you an answer. And I'm going to give you the gospel. You know, a lot of times when we preach, you're like, okay, Andrew, here it comes. We always end with the gospel. But guess what? The gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the most powerful thing on the earth. Not because I believe it, because that's what it is. The gospel resurrects dead people, people who don't like God or want the things of God, people who hate religion, people who hate anyone higher than them to tell them what to do. The gospel takes that person and Jesus says, I love you. Jesus says, I died for you. Jesus says, the kindness of God will lead you to me. Not, my, not, not the wrath of God, not, not my stern look, not my, you know, you better do better next time, not the judgment. It is the kindness. It is the love of God. John 3.16 says, it's for God so loved the world. A lot of times we get it mixed up. We think, you know, I'm a sinner and I, and I need Jesus. You know, if, if I could show you how bad you are. And that's, look, we are. We're totally depraved. I believe that. But a lot of times we forget that the first thing that God did was love the world before he sent his son. So here's the evidence. Here's the gospel. And if you and you're wondering, what's the gospel? Here it is. Jesus went into the belly of Sheol and he went there willingly and was literally forsaken by God the father. Jesus cried out on the cross in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist goes on to say, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer me. And by night, and I find no rest. When Jesus died on the cross, the scripture says that the father crushed him. Isaiah 53, 8 through 10 says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And, he, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. You know, one day I left my phone at home and, and it was dead. And my wife was, was trying to call me all day, and I didn't pick up the phone. You know, when I call my wife, this is a side note, she never picks up the phone. I'm like texting her. I'm like, there's, there's nine missed calls. And I'm like, baby, what is going on? And look, if, I need, if I'm in trouble, I'm not going to call my wife. I'm telling you, I might call you. I might call 911. Man. But anyway, I love you, baby. So she called constantly, and, and I didn't pick up 
the phone. And then finally I came home from work and, and my wife came up to me rightly and she said, you know, why didn't you answer your phone? I was calling you all day. I was concerned for you. I thought maybe you were upset with me. She had all these questions. Why didn't you pick up the phone? Where were you? What's going on? You don't like me anymore? Well, Jesus was in the belly of Sheol and he cried out to his father and he got no answer. Eight missed calls, 10 missed calls, 12 missed calls. He was just not, he was, he was not sent to deliver. He was not sent a deliverer from on high. He wasn't sent an angel. He wasn't sent a Messiah, nothing. When Jesus prayed for deliverance, he got silence because he was bearing the weight of my sin. He was bearing the weight of your sin. And in John 10, 17 through 18, the Bible says that he laid down his life so that he may take it up again. And Jesus says, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. And this authority was given to me by God the Father as proof that the Father loves me. So when Jesus resurrected from the dead after three days, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, Jesus did it on his own accord. You know, throughout the gospel, you had Jesus calling out Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. You had a prophet, uh, the Eli- prophet Elijah, he, he, he called on God and he raised someone from the dead. There, there was always somebody on the other side calling and say, hey, dead person, come forth. But no one called out from the grave. No one prayed that God would resurrect Jesus from the dead. Jesus, by his own authority and power, rose up from the grave. He laid down his life so that he could take it up again. And he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he could have said to his father, like my wife did, why didn't you answer my call? You know, I, I was calling all day. I was in the belly of she-hole and you didn't answer me. All your waves and your billows surrounded me, but you didn't answer me. Weren't you concerned for me? Don't you love me? Jesus didn't say any of those things. You know, one of the first things that Jesus said after he resurrected from the grave in John chapter 20, he appears before Thomas who doubted that Jesus could ever rise. And, and Jesus said, put your finger there and see my hands. Put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. As I'm closing here, modern pluralism says that religion, that the religion of the sailors was just as genuine as Jonah's religion. When the storm was surging in Jonah chapter 1, the the sailors, they cried out to their individual gods. And so the question is, what's the difference between someone believing in another god, crying out for help, and someone believing in Jesus? Aren't all religions the same? Aren't they all equal? Well, all religions are not the same. In fact, this might come to a shock to you. But a lot of religions disagree on fundamental issues of faith. And so you might say, you know what, Andrew, that's it. That's that's right. That's the reason I can't trust any religion. Because if they can't agree on a supernatural God, then how in the world am I supposed to trust any of them? Well, Jonah, he responds to this dilemma in verse 8. Let's look at it. 
In verse 8, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He calls man-made religion idolatry. Yes, even some Christians who, pay, who put their faith in religious practices to, to save them is operating in idolatry. We are not saved by going to church. We're not saved by going to CG or our religious practices or our traditions. We're not saved by how good we are or, or how much difference we make in the world. We're not saved by our good intentions. We're not saved by our love for our neighbor and our love for humanity. There's only one Savior. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one God who came in human form to die for the sins of the world. I know of no other God and no other religion that can say that. Because salvation is of the Lord. Only the Lord saves. That's why Jonah prayed. He prayed to God who knows he can save. He could have prayed to any other God. But he didn't because he knows that none of those gods can save him from the belly of Sheol. Only Jesus can save from the belly of Sheol. Only Jesus can save you from your death and and give you eternal life. Only Jesus can save you from your past mistakes. And you might have grown up in church and you might have some doubts. And maybe at one time you had a close relationship with God and uh, uh, and you felt like you were real close But then something happened and then, you know, uh, you felt it was far away. There might have been a time where you can say, yes, I believe, but now I don't. Yes, I was close, but now I don't. Well, my brothers and sisters, I ask you to look again. Look again at the Savior. Look again at the steadfast love of Jesus Christ who literally faced death and died on your behalf so that you could experience faith in God's promises and hope and God's sovereignty and love in God's family. Look again, and if you don't see God as the most beautiful and desirable thing in all the universe, then look again. Look again if you felt like you've messed up. Look again at his mercy. Look again at the lengths by which Jesus humbled himself for you and me. When we didn't want him, he wanted us. When we broke his heart, he didn't say, no, I'm done with them. I don't need them. You know what Jesus says, hanging on the cross for your sin, even when you said, I don't need them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is the type of Savior that will leave the 99 just to run after one lost sheep. Look again. Look again at the height and the depth of the love of Jesus that neither death nor angels, hell, neither unbelief, neither doubt nor failure, neither anything that is created on the universe can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You know what Jesus says through the gospel? Jonah's praying, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And Jesus says, yet I will look again. Isaiah says, I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. This is what Jesus says about you. He says, I will look again toward you. Even when we have rejected him, even when we've run away, he said, I will look again toward you. He will not leave you to die in the belly of Sheol. He will always look again, because salvation is of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, O God, that you look again. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us in the belly of death. 
Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us in the belly of unbelief and doubt. You don't leave us in the belly of sin. You don't leave us in the belly of frustration with Christianity and the church and religion. But you look again. And so, Lord, as we look toward you, I pray that you would look at us and that you would save us. Because we know that there is no other God that can save other than Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. In his name we pray, amen.